Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't bet. I don't bet. I never have. I never will. Yeah, right. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners, and I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Pain Insider and Todd Furman. Welcome into the Bet the Board Week 13 Monday Night Football Podcast Powered by Bet Online. Uh, I want to take this opportunity to apologize to a lot of our loyal listeners Had questions and concerns all weekend long on Twitter Unfortunately, sometimes the real world gets in the way of us providing a podcast And thanks to some personnel issues, everything worked out uh, the best way we could have drawn up But some unfortunate circumstances Thursday precluded us Uh, from offering some of our wagering gold as we provided. Hopefully no unforeseen setbacks moving forward as we get deeper into the nitty-gritty. want to welcome in a co-host and the brains behind this operation, the one, the only, Pain Insider. We're back. Uh, Week 13 was pretty good. Uh, Potentially uh, not having a Thursday podcast saved us uh, some money on the Rodgers-to-Rodgers connection late in that game. Yeah, you had to throw a little bit of salt in the wound there. We'll get to that in a matter of minutes. Uh, if you're not already following Payne, I encourage you to do so on Twitter, at Payne Insider. You can follow me, at Todd Furman. Uh, and, of course, subscribe to the Bet the Board podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes, or visit us at ToddTake.com. And, Payne, you, you make a lot of sense with a great place to start on Thursday night, as we typically do. Teams that impressed us over the weekend disappointed us. Clearly, a number of bad beats, even if we go as far back as Monday when we told a lot of our listeners that we were sitting on Cleveland tickets laying two and a half or better, follow it up with a potential under ticket on Thursday night. And for me personally, first half under in the Eagles-Patriots, but I'm not a bitter individual. Lions, Hail Mary defense. What the hell was Jim Caldwell and company doing? Uh, I'm not sure Jim Caldwell knows what he's doing in general most weeks. Uh, We've kind of talked about this. They went on a nice little run there, and all the teams they'd faced, not great at that point, got ideal situations. And you hate to play Monday morning quarterback. I kind of refuse to do that. But in years past, we've even seen it with this Lions team in the situation like that. Kelvin Johnson is absolutely 100% positively always on the field in that situation. When you have a guy that can go and get any ball that's thrown up in the air, 
with his size, you have to put him out there for that. And even if mentally you're, like, not sure, maybe just call timeout. It's the last play of the game. Regroup, <laughs> gather yourself, take a deep breath, and figure it out. Uh, with that game, too, and, of course, we'll get Dave Mason's take later in the week on Thursday to find out exactly what the financial implications uh, of that game going from dog and under all of a sudden to favor and over meant for bet online. So no reason to speculate there. However, before we get into more of the disappointing efforts of the weekend, because the Lions do have a clunker coming up this week against the St. Louis Rams, wanted to get your take on some of the most impressive things that you saw over the weekend. My biggest one, I think, was Tyrod Taylor. His team needed a win. And many of the sharp guys were saying it, and admittedly, I was thinking it with him, that defenses had potentially caught on. There was enough tape out there on him. Um, You had the Bill Belichick blueprint. You could have went to your film, saw what the Patriots did in their two matchups with Buffalo this season, and kind of tailored a game plan similar for Tyrod. Um, The Texans, they had arguably the hottest defense in the league coming in. Tyra puts up four touchdowns, over 240 total yards. Uh, And the biggest key there to him in that offense is he averaged 10 yards per pass attempt, 20 yards per completion. So it allows a defense not to squat and cheat on the line of scrimmage uh, when trying to stop LaShawn McCoy. And Buffalo is a very interesting team, one who has a now fascinating game this weekend against Philadelphia. Uh, I think that'll make not only the podcast a little bit later when we talk about the adjustment in the betting market for those two teams based on their results, uh, but also what it'll mean for, to the betting market as we get deeper into the week on Thursday. When you talk about quarterback performances, I know he's got a much more proven track record of what he's done. Two quarterbacks specifically in one division really stood out to me in the NFC West. Carson Palmer continuing to lead that Arizona offense withstood the barrage of pressure from St. Louis. And while the Rams' offense really couldn't muster anything, defensively they were as stout as they could possibly be for the first half. Carson Palmer spreading the ball around very effectively. And then, of course, Russell Wilson. Seattle looked like a team a lot of people thought they could be all season long. 21 of 27, uh, just shy of 300 yards, three touchdowns. But the bigger move there is we're starting to see Russell Wilson use his legs. Nine carries, 51 yards, and a touchdown, the first rushing touchdown of the season. And maybe Seattle has officially turned the corner and should be considered a viable contender in the NFC. This kind of set of games the last two weeks to me uh, has been Russell Wilson's most two impressive performances I've ever seen him have. Uh, I know he's won Super Bowls, but when you looked at this Seattle team, it was built on defense, special teams, and Russell Wilson kind of managing the game. These last two weeks, they know they're undermanned. The defense isn't as good. The defense doesn't have quite the depth. Um, You lose Jimmy Graham. And Russell Wilson has kind of put things on his shoulders the last two weeks. They're throwing the ball. Um, He's earning that contract extension. A lot of people thought it was a little too much. But if this is what we're going to see, a much improved passing game, a much more dynamic offense, um, Russell Wilson has been very, very impressive, not just this week, but when he won it last week, putting it on his shoulders as well. Does Thomas Rawls allow the Seattle offense to function much more efficiently than it did with Marshawn Lynch in their paint? You know, it's a tough question. Because I think Rawls is doing very well now. Obviously, there's no debating that. But when you have a guy like that, we've seen him charged up. He's been kind of on the bench, resting, lulling in the weeds. Now let's see if you can do it every single week. Let's see if you can take that pounding. And we know it's a position in the NFL that takes a brutal, brutal pounding. Let's see four weeks down the road. Let's see five weeks down the road if you can continually be this effective taking that pounding. 
Uh, Marshawn Lynch, that's kind of what he does. He wears on defenses. Certainly Rawls is more dynamic. He allows them to do a little more in the passing game. Uh, he's a little more quicker burst guy, a little more speed down the field. Uh, but let's see his durability after a few weeks of taking uh, you know, full game poundings every week. Yeah, and an unenviable, unenviable travel situation for Seattle this week, playing in the Midwest against the Vikings, uh, and looking as crisp as we've seen them all season, then having to travel all the way out to the East Coast to take on the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday. Uh, aside from the Seahawks and their offensive spark there, Payne, what, who, what else caught your eye this particular weekend? I think if you're looking at impressive performances, you have to look at Cam Newton. I, I think this is just remarkable. Uh, the defense... You know, allows 38 points. Everybody talks about how great this defense is, uh, but it didn't matter. Cam Newton put him on her back. It's a tough spot. A lot of the sharp guys were on New Orleans this week. They took seven, closed five and a half. Saints get out 14 nothing, uh, and it looks like this is potentially the sleepy spot, and Carolina's going to lose their first game of the season. Cam Newton goes out there, puts the team on his back, through the air, on the ground. Five touchdown passes. Could have had two more. Ted Ginn with the the drops uh, that he's had his entire career. So I was extremely um, impressed by Cam Newton. This isn't a guy that you know I'm in love with. Don't love the antics. Um, and there are some people that just aren't looking at these games accurately when they're gauging Cam Newton, saying you know he's not very good. This is a guy that is on pace for over 45 touchdowns. This is an MVP-type performance. The last few years, when you look at the MVP guys, Peyton Manning in 2013, 39 touchdowns total. Rodgers, 41 total touchdowns. It might not look the same as those guys, um, but he's an MVP this year. It's not even close. He definitely, in my opinion, means more to that Carolina offense than almost any quarterback in the NFL, and it definitely deserves to be mentioned with the Aaron Rodgers of the world and Tom Brady. Uh, be funny to think about what kind of numbers Kelvin Benjamin could be putting up if he had his primary deep threat there and how much better this Carolina offense that surprised a lot of us would potentially look. And when you mention quarterbacks who have that run-pass dynamic, uh, interesting game that we saw unfold in Nashville between the Jaguars and the Titans, 41 combined points in the fourth quarter. I'm not sure if I want to give the two quarterbacks credit or if I want to blame the defenses, but Blake Bortles, 24 of 36, 300 yards, five touchdowns. Marcus Mariota, just shy of 300 yards himself, finally used his legs getting an 87-yard carry. Do you think that's indicative of what we're going to see from those two young quarterbacks, or was that more just kind of a blip on the radar? Well, Bortles looked very good, and he seems to be coming into his own. He's got some weapons, finally. The added dimension of Julius Thomas the last few weeks has really allowed them to do some things. And this is without Alan Hearns, mind you. So that was pretty impressive. And this Tennessee defense, in general, has been very good this season. They can get to the quarterback, uh, one of the best teams in pass rush efficiency. On the flip side, thank God Mike Malarkey got the legs of Marcus Mariota involved in this game. It really opens up a lot of things. I think Mariota is going to be good, but if you think he's a pocket passer and just a pocket passer, you're really limiting yourself to why you drafted this guy. So it was great to see him get out and go. And more importantly for me, this was a big win in our Jaguars under. Uh, win total ticket. <laughs> uh, Tennessee did everything in their power in that seesaw game to keep Jacksonville in it, uh, unable to really dispose of them. The interesting dynamic we saw emerge Sunday morning is you had some of the sharpest betters in the world laying two and a half with the Titans, others taking three. And as we preach on this podcast every single week, every Monday and Thursday throughout the fall, get the best of the number. It'll 
hit your bottom line a much more effective manner than a lot of people anticipate. And Payne, before we close the book on some of the sweetest performances from the weekend, uh, anything else that you know really triggered you or caught you by surprise in a particularly good manner? I think there's three things that you need to look at, and they're all from the quarterback position. Matt Ryan, the first, uh, you're supposed to be a franchise quarterback. You're jumping the gun here. I wanted you to go on your diatribe about things that no. disappointed you. I wanted you to give you know, your gold no. stars and stickers or a Buckeye on the helmet, whatever the hell people do these days. No, I, you got two impressive performances, and I think we talked about Seattle already. That was clearly an impressive performance by Russell Wilson, but we're going to the negative now, um, <laughs> and, and it's Matt Ryan, and we talked about this. They've lost five straight, six of seven, and I think much of it falls squarely on Matty Ice, and we kind of teased this last week about why he isn't being hammered. Um, last eight games, 12 passing touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and over that eight-week stretch, the defense is Ryan has faced a collective defensive efficiency average of 21st in the NFL. So nobody can break out, you know, the tough defense's crutch. Matt Ryan is single-handedly losing games for this franchise right now. Yeah, it's been amazing that he's been immune to some of the criticism that other quarterbacks in this particular spot would get. Uh, whether it's a cool nickname, whether it's what he's accomplished previously, his throw late in the game with Atlanta facing a deficit, uh, absolutely mind-boggling. Through two Tampa Bay defenders there, uh, and you look at the Falcons, clearly this team is taking on water right now. And for folks sitting on their win total, I imagine you have to be sweating looking at their remaining schedule, knowing that a loss stares them potentially in the eye on Sunday uh, as seven-point dogs against Carolina. And, Payne, as long as we're there, you know, with the sweet comes the sour. You mentioned Matt Ryan's performance. Uh, I want to go after Tom Coughlin and his clock management. Yet again in a football game, uh, the Giants, I I don't quite understand what's going through their heads. Fourth and two, you haven't been able to get into the end zone from inside the five. And while I know you have to force your opponent to try and drive the length of the field, uh, why don't you kick the field goal and go up 13 points, forcing your opponent to need two touchdowns to beat you? Uh, and at that point in the game, the Jets had only scored once. They hadn't shown the ability to go up and down the field. You know, How many games is Tom Coughlin and this Giants mismanagement late in contest uh, going to cost them? Clearly now the Giants an uphill battle to win the division and get into the playoffs. This is a very, very tough debate. And, you know, a lot of people, if he went for it and got it, it's just so tough because you have a franchise quarterback and you need, what, two yards? So you effectively get those two yards and you win the game on your offense on the shoulders of your franchise player. I will never bash anybody for that. But if you do kick the field goal there, you go up 13, it requires two touchdowns to beat you. And I guess the one kicker here is when you're looking at efficiency metrics – the Jets, number one in that matter, inside the five, and the worst team offensively by those efficiency metrics inside the five is the Giants. Clearly, Coughlin didn't have those numbers in front of him. <laughs> but, but my point here is I have no issues with being extremely aggressive. And to the flip side of that coin, you say this offense only scored 10 points to this point. Well, if you don't get it, they're sitting inside the five. And you expect your defense, who's held this offense in check all day, to continue to do the same. I have no problems being aggressive. I have no problems putting it in your franchise quarterback's hands and winning the game. A touchdown there. You go up 17. The game's over. We're not talking about this. Yeah, I mean, I can give you that much. I understand what the math says. It's just interesting the way things have unfolded for the Giants. And whether we want to call that a byproduct of bad luck, uh, or a greater force at work. Clearly, this is a team whose record isn't indicative of how they've, they've played all season long, and I have to believe that that could end up 
ultimately being the final nail in the coffin with the Jets doing that uh, right in the stadium where those two teams share the rights. Uh, I want to be critical of the Cleveland Browns. I mean, what the hell is going on with this team? I'm, we know that they're trying to prove a point. Johnny Manziel, clearly not the answer. But Austin Davis, not exactly anything to write home about. Cleveland struggles mightily against the Cincinnati Bengals in a team that may be in fade mode, although an interesting spot coming up this weekend when they play host to San Francisco. And another player, Payne, uh, that I know bothered you, so I'm going to give you the opportunity in the floor to rant on him. Where do you want to go with this Bears game, and specifically Robbie Gould? Well, uh, to, to touch on Cleveland, I I want to I could say something that's not going to be very nice, and with the situations going on, it's not really worth saying. But Cleveland's an absolute dump. Um, you know, just get LeBron out of there in time if anybody's going to do anything crazy there. Place is an absolute crapple. You're watching this game on television, and there are pigeons on the field interfering with plays at this rate by week 17 we're going to have rats burrowing into the field under linesman legs like just cleveland just got to go somewhere like extra defenders extra defenders to help that browns defense it's such a dump just quit i mean just the game of life there just isn't going very well for you um with the Bears, that was a, a tough one. We have a little uh, home run ticket uh, on the Bears Super Bowl at 210 to 1. Needed that win. So uh, Robbie Gould kind of crapped the bed there. Uh, so that was pretty disappointing. I can't really say much else about that. Big, uh, big kick in the groin. <laughs> and you look at uh, Chicago, clearly a team that could not handle uh, the first time they've been installed as a favorite all season long, losing that game outright uh, with some sharp money that obviously came in on San Francisco, driving that number from 7.5 to a closing price at some sharper shops at 6. Uh, one last thing for me, Payne, we've praised the Raiders as being a team capable of turning the corner. Uh, yesterday, I think they took a real big step back, up 20-14 to 14 and driving. All of a sudden, the wheels started to fall off of a team that it was probably a long shot to get into the AFC playoff picture, but a win yesterday uh, would have done wonders for that particular playoff prospect. Derek Carr's turnovers, I'm not sure if we want to put the responsibility on him, if we want to put it on the play calling, or exactly what unfolded as the Raiders gave up 20 unanswered points to Kansas City in the fourth quarter uh, to potentially write this season off as they'll still need some help now to get back into the thick of the race. Yeah, well, this Raiders team, they're not very good. Let's just put it that way. Uh, and this is a team now that has lost four of five, and they should have lost five in a row if not for Jeff Triplett uh, in the NFL, basically making this team more impressive than they have been. They are the Raiders, and they'll continue to be the Raiders. Um, fourth quarters, they're not doing anything in fourth quarters in these football games, and it's been going on for nearly six weeks. So it's no surprise. Derek Carr, it's been a nice season. He's got some weapons, but at the end of the day, the elevator doesn't go to the top floor. He makes untimely throws. He likes forcing balls in certain areas that he shouldn't be. Uh, it's I don't even know where to go at this point. It, it is the Raiders, and it was a nice story. And, yes, they are improved. We'll see where this goes moving forward. Uh, Jack Del Rio, again, he's been in this position before. He's not a great coach. Um, he's better than what the Raiders have had. But, you know, he's not great. This team isn't great, uh, and again, if it wasn't for just a false win at the Titans you know, two weeks ago, uh, this is a team that should have potentially dropped five in a row. I mean, I use this term all the time, and you talk about Jack Del Rio being an upgrade from what the Raiders have had before. It's almost like being the toughest Smurf out there, so you'd not really want to give them too much credit 
uh, for exactly how uh, everything has gone this season. And what is your thoughts on one game, Payne? And I'm not sure if we should go with the disappointed, we should go with the impressive. Philadelphia-New England, a fascinating game from a handicapping standpoint as you try and unpack what we saw there. The Eagles, three non-offensive touchdowns, win that game 35-28. Uh, we knew sharp guys played Philadelphia, but that line ballooned out to 10 before kickoff. You could have taken double digits right before it went. Uh, do we give the Eagles credit for getting out gain in this spot, going on the road to hostile territory where other teams haven't been able to do what Philadelphia did? Or do we think this is more smoke and mirrors than anything else? Well, I like to see the energy and effort. And that was 100% there. Uh, they could have easily quit on that game like they have the last month of the season when they got down 14 nothing, and that game could have just been written off and our season's done and we move forward. Uh, but there was at least some fight, some resiliency in that game. So you kind of create your own luck. Um, and clearly they got some luck before the half. Um, you, you get the 100-yard interception return, which is a huge swing, minimum 10 points there. And now you're mentally involved in this game. The offense, I guess, did enough. Um, Chip Kelly did one thing that will go unrecognized, and that's trying to instill confidence um, in his quarterback. Third and 11, there would be a lot of teams that just rammed the ball into the line of scrimmage there, punted away, and made Tom Brady go the length of the field with two minutes and no timeouts. And we've seen how that's worked in the past. It comes back to haunt you. (laughs) On third and 11, he lets Bradford go up there, chuck the ball and get the first down and you could just see confidence in Bradford and we'll see how that continues moving forward some interesting comments did come out that I wanted to get your thoughts on and I know uh Pro Football Talk talking about Chip Kelly finally demoting DeMarco Murray, using that as their headline. I want to put that to rest when people look at handicapping. You found an interesting interview uh, where Chip Kelly suggested why he changed who was going to be his primary bell cow against the Patriots yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think he could definitely be demoted. It's been going on now 13 weeks. We've talked about Matthews being the better back, about trying to get more carries for Sproles. Um, this could just obviously be lip service, but from what Chip Kelly said was the reasoning behind giving him less carries was this week because of the Patriots linebackers and being so big and physical and Murray not having a huge edge there in the downhill running game. That remains to be seen. Clearly Sproles in this offense was a little bit better. He had you know more than double-digit touches more than than Murray. Uh, Even Kenyon Barner, Chip's old pal from Oregon, had more carries uh, than Murray. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward when Matthews comes back off the concussion. I've said this for a long, long time. It's got to be Matthews. It's got to be Sproles. And then when you get into the short yardage game, uh, then you go to Murray. But aside from that, we've had this ego battle with Chip Kelly between Chip the coach and Chip the GM. And he's tried to make Murray work. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be the case. Unless he's going downhill with a full head of steam, uh, they have much, much better backs for this system. Yeah, there's no no doubt about it. The unheralded Kenyon Barner provided a spark there as well in the ground game. The voice you hear on the other end of this lovely line, the one, the only, Pain Insider. Follow him on Twitter there, at Pain Insider. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at Todd Furman. And, of course, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this podcast. We need all the help we can get. SoundCloud, iTunes, or visit us at Todd'sTake.com. 
And Payne, it's a perfect segue talking about the Eagles and what that final score did to the betting market. Uh, Buffalo on the look-ahead lines, courtesy of the Westgate Superbook, were a one-point road favorite uh, against the much-maligned Philadelphia team. Then all of a sudden we see the market shift three points. The Eagles open as a two-point chalk. Now not moves through key numbers. You've already seen a little bit of resistance this morning at Bet Online uh, as that number has started to tick down some. Uh, what do we make of the change in the way we view both of these teams, knowing how important this game is for the Bills in that AFC wildcard chase and Philadelphia now very much in the thick of the division race, especially given Monday night's showdown between the Cowboys and the Redskins. Well, I think you did a good job there hitting on the key point um, and more so in a teaching method is it's not really that significant of a move going through the zero from, you know, one to two. Uh, so that's that's a positive thing. I wouldn't look at that and be like, oh, my God, we're on to something here. Uh, but this essentially becomes the big game for both these teams. It becomes a must-win for both these teams. We've seen Philadelphia not play very well at home, but you have to look at this game if you're Philadelphia. And, you know, I'll kind of tease it. Whoever's on this game this evening, it's pointing to a good sign that the Cowboys are going to be in this game for the full 60 minutes. So you have the potential of Philadelphia basically after quitting multiple weeks in a row on national television on Turkey Day, leading this division after this evening. Um, And if that's not enough to motivate you and get you going, I don't know what is. Uh, This Philadelphia defense, they were impressive to me last week. I know... New England's offense didn't have all their weapons, but Philadelphia's defense got back to what they were in terms of efficiency metrics. And Buffalo's defense, I'm just still not buying into it. Um, So for me, I think the line makes sense. And, you know, we're sitting on an NFC East win ticket here at plus $1.60 with Philadelphia. I'm hoping that Philadelphia (laughs) has enough in this game uh, to to get the win and, and continue momentum moving forward towards the end of the season. Now you might be able to get a nice arbitrage situation. I have to imagine if uh, the Cowboys are able to take care of business tonight, a game that we'll break down in greater detail before we close this podcast, that the Eagles will open up Tuesday morning as the favorite uh, to come out of the NFC East. Thursday night, one of the best Thursday night games that we probably had all season. And, of course, we'll break that one down in all of its glory right here on the Bet the Board Thursday edition podcast. Cardinals, 7.5-point chalk against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, The Arizona Cardinals on the look-ahead line were only a 6-point favorite. Both ends of the spectrum, Arizona goes on the road and looks dominant in getting revenge against the St. Louis Rams. On the other side, Minnesota gets absolutely buried by the Seattle Seahawks playing in their own building. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to jump to conclusions and say, you know, Arizona's the side here. Clearly, this is your typical, you know, buy low, sell high situation. But in general, this Minnesota team isn't very, I don't think they're very good. They're extremely overrated. Uh, We were high on them in terms of season outlook in correlation to their win total. They eclipsed that, what, before December? But right now, when you're evaluating this team, they're not great. Um This Minnesota team, if you really break things down, if you look at this at the time their games kick off, they had played only two teams this season with winning records. They lost both by an average of 10 points. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater has been horrible. Uh, Yeah, it's on his offensive line. But with Adrian Peterson out there, there's no reason the passing game isn't opened up a little bit. They're averaging 180 passing yards per game. Very dink and dunk. Teddy Bridgewater has regressed drastically. Uh, he's got no chemistry with the wide receivers. So this is a tough spot despite the buy low, sell high. 
Yeah, and you talk about a pretty long travel spot for Minnesota on a short week. It'll be interesting to see exactly uh, where this number goes. Uh, a team making their second trip from the West Coast. We talked about the 49ers going to Chicago, getting the improbable win on the legs of Blaine Gabbert against the Bears over the weekend. Uh, they'll now go to Cleveland. Uh, you're looking at the Browns, a one-point favorite in the betting market against San Francisco, currently available at Bet Online. Browns were a three-point favorite. We talk about a two-point move, but, of course, here, a much different story, off a key number of a field goal uh, and exactly how we decide to handicap two teams, just kind of playing for an identity, maybe fighting for a better draft pick, uh, an interesting matchup for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, we're talking San Francisco-Cleveland uh, in December on a look-ahead line. So that's pretty interesting in, in itself. I think when you look at this game, the one thing, if you are handicapping this game or potentially deciding to bet it, is you have to do your reading. Find out if San Francisco's going back home. Find out if they're staying on the East Coast. That would be my, my biggest piece of advice to you. Um, and that will determine a lot in the way of handicapping this game. I'm not sure I want to take it. I'm not sure I want to take it on either team at this point. Uh, when you look at San, when you look at San Francisco, it was a nice win, a lot of smoke and mirrors. If you kind of take away the last drive with three minutes to go in the 71-yard bomb in overtime, as much as we've been praising Blaine Gabbert and the rest of the media is now on the Blaine train four weeks later, San Francisco had 156 total yards with three minutes remaining in that game. So uh, this is an interesting spot again. Do your research on what's going on with San Francisco, if they're staying out east or traveling back home west. We can only hope that if the 49ers do elect to stay in the Midwest uh, and through the east, that they set up shops somewhere between Chicago and Cleveland, as you so eloquently described. Cleveland is a dump. Hopefully the 49ers brass is listening to this podcast uh, and not putting them anywhere in northern Ohio. Of course, all the hate mail you can send directly to Payne Insider for those cheap shots. I'm sure we have plenty of Ohio State Buckeye fans that are listening to this, bitter about their plight playing Notre Dame in the Battle Frog Fiesta Bowl as well. And one other look-ahead line, Payne, we've seen the market adjust a little bit. We didn't touch on their performance. Very workmanlike. The Denver Broncos, a 7.5-point favorite at home against the Raiders. The Broncos on the look-ahead number were 6.5. Uh, it was an easy opportunity for Brock Osweiler to kind of come back to the pack against the Chargers. Uh, Denver went out there, squashed the dreams of San Diego pulling the upset with a 17-3 victory. Again, this Broncos defense, the best in the league, and they continue to prove it each and every week they go out there. Workmanlike is a good term there. We were obviously on Oakland in the first insult installment of this matchup, and David Carr happened late in that game. Uh, so a little bitter about that. Denver in a bad spot this past week, I thought, despite some sharp money on them. Osweiler didn't look great, but he did enough. Just rely on your defense. It's tough for me to make a case for Oakland at this point. That was a really, really deflating loss. We'll see where this goes. Uh, did open as high as eight. We've seen some uh, Oakland money in the market. This is be interesting. I got to do a little more digging here, um, but I just don't see any way that that Denver potentially doesn't make it in into a teaser leg for me this week. And you mentioned Denver catching some sharp money. I think a lot of our listeners are going to be surprised by that comment because typically the casual fan seems to think that professionals won't bet road favorites. But we saw that number take off, and it leads to a bigger philosophical question, uh, one that found its way into my timeline, maybe not so much because of the NFL but for college football. When we do these podcasts and we talk about where the line's headed and where it's going, uh, with some of the information that you have access to, as far as intent of line movement, identifying some of these sharp positions, when you 
you hear the quotes and comments from bookmakers who don't understand what their betters are doing, oftentimes it can mislead the general public, and there's so much jockeying for position that we see even during the one-week span in the NFL. We're going to see a ton of it during the college football bowl season, not to buy into quote-unquote sharp positions just because you're hearing it from some of the bookmakers out there when they don't know exactly what their customers are doing. Yeah, this might be a little long-winded, but when you're talking about this past Denver game in general, opened four and a half, we saw the the beginning of the movement or the uh, dummying take place. It got down to as low as three and a half, and, and I have access to a lot of these guys, and they were laying three. They bought the hook, laid three. Now, we saw this get as high as six, even some six and a half out there, and so I could understand another group of bettors identifying value at that specific price. And that's one thing to hit on in that Thursday game, and I thought we did a good job talking about this in the Browns Ravens matchup. At one and a half, two, I like the Browns a lot. At four and a half, five, I made note that we were probably coming back for a third of our position on Baltimore. And while it seemed like a lot of people kind of uh, neglected those comments and, and were you know, going, <laughs> going like a bull in a china shop still on Cleveland at that price point, the price is indicative of where we're going to be investing. These are stocks to us. These teams are nothing more than stocks. We're buying them one week. We're selling the same team the next. We're selling them one week. We're buying that same team the next. So you get a lot of comments. Well, you said you didn't like this quarterback or you don't like this player. Well, it could be a different thing the next week. It could be a matchup that we like or, or we're fading you know, a specific team. So you really have to look at those things. In terms of intent of a position, yes, absolutely. A lot of these sports books have guys operating them. That are betters, so they're in tune of what they're trying to do, but not all the time. So there are a lot of people identifying sharp action. That could absolutely be true for their sports book. They've marked this player as sharp. They took a bet from this sharp guy on this game in the market moved, but they don't know the actual intent of the position. So you could take a bet from a sharp player on Team X at minus 6.5, and, and they could mark that sharp, and it goes to 7. All the while off the screen, this same group is bearing plus seven. And so the intent of the move was not what someone said it was, despite their book taking a sharp bet from a group they've labeled sharp. Uh, and it happens all the time, especially early in the week. You can get the market going with one bet, as you mentioned, from a sharp customer. For no money. Uh, for no money. Yeah, for, exactly. For betting a dime on a game can get the entire screen to light up, knowing other sports books will move off of air or being respected. A lot cheaper to do things that way, to buy a half a point, so to speak, than it would be in a very different matter trying to make the same move on Sunday. And from the theater of We Can't Make This Up as we record the podcast, the Cleveland Browns have announced Johnny Manziel to be their starting quarterback against the San Francisco 49ers this weekend. Uh, we'll change the handicap quite a bit. be interesting to see where this line goes. It opened at one with Austin Davis listed. Clearly Cleveland giving Manziel a chance to prove his merits, I guess, over the next four weeks of the season. I think it's the right move in terms of a franchise decision. I know what he's done off the field. I know the focus isn't always there. But at some point you have to see what you have. And Austin Davis just isn't that dude. I mean, the Rams are battling for a quarterback, and they just – through this guy to the wayside. Be interesting to see where this total goes. I would envision 40 and a half not lasting long with uh, Menzel at the helm. I can read. I can read between the lines there as we scramble to pull up our apps and offshore sites to try and decide if we can beat the market on some of these particular spots. Payne, 
we do movie reviews on this podcast. You criticize me regularly for my choices in movies, saying I am the more cerebral of the two of us, the thinking man, so to speak. So I took your advice and elected to go see a holiday comedy. And um, when I saw the night before, I'm not quite sure if words are going to do it justice for how I felt about the 90 minutes I wasted in that theater. But I'm going to give you a chance. If you'd like to defend the movie that you saw, or you can take shots at it and uh, start piling on Seth Rogen's display uh, of holiday humor that was a, officially a swing and a miss at an Araldis Chapman-type fastball. Well, here's the thing. I haven't actually seen the movie, but I wanted to set you up for this to tell people why you actually went to see this movie, and it wasn't to appease me. It wasn't to bring back movie review for our loyal listeners. There was a reason why you went to this movie, and so oh, I'm, not gonna give you, I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt of conning people into saying, hey, I've dumbed down a little bit, and I'm just going to go see a movie for entertainment. Because as we all know, if a movie isn't predicated on a 37-pound book offered in 13 languages, it's no good for Todd Vermin. So tell us why you went to go see this movie. I see what you did here. I get the bait and switch here. You tell me, yeah, I saw the movie. I'll go. And you know what? For a lot I of our podcasts, say that. I did not say I saw the movie. I said, who say, who say that I take jabs? I like the move. I think this is very cold, cunning, uh, and, and I can applaud the spirit. Yes, I did go see the movie with uh, a, a young lady who, who chose the movie, was a little bit disappointed in the... We're going to need verification for that, because I think a lot of our listeners are going to call, call bullshit on that. Shots fired! Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping she doesn't listen to the podcast because she may be critical of my choice in movies as well. Hopefully this uh, the subject matter is a little bit drier. But, yes, I did go see it. I was a little bit disappointed. Uh, Creed probably will be one of the next movie premieres that uh, we take care of. I know a little late in the game particularly why. Uh, but, yes, there's a reason I don't go see a ton of comedies in the theater. This one didn't quite live up to ex- advanced expectations. Call me a Scrooge. Call me whatever you want. You know, a Jewish guy trying to see a comedy about the night before Christmas, uh, whatever you want, racial undertones, religious undertones. Uh, was not a fan, so I'm just going on record there. Uh, I felt like it was the Pineapple Express before Christmas, and neither one of them failed to live up to uh, any advanced expectations. And mainly because I don't use mind-altering substances at this point, I couldn't quite appreciate maybe the humor in all of it. Seth Rogen is the Matthew Stafford of movies. (laughs) Uh, I definitely like uh, that particular parallel and where we're going. If Seth Rogen is the Matthew Stafford of movies, uh, I'm not quite sure who Matt Castle is of the NFL quarterbacks as we break down the Monday night game. Between the Redskins and Cowboys, you're looking at Washington, a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Total right now sits at 42 at Bet Uh You kind of teased it out a little bit, talking about where the position may be, and uh, I'll let you take it from there, man. The floor is yours. Well, this isn't a game that I'm going to actually be playing, so let's put that out there. Let's understand and absorb that. Uh, <laughs> there was sharp money. On Dallas at plus four and a half, it's a pretty significant position. Um, I won't be joining that. This kind of is going to be a teaching moment in value for you know the listeners moving forward. This is kind of the time of year where your numbers don't mean as much. Your power numbers don't mean as much. Uh, if you're predicating your plays based solely on them, Good luck to you, sir. Um, You have to find out who wants to be here. You have to find out the motivation. And while this game, by the numbers, should be a pick 'em, uh, we saw this open four and a half because this right now is potentially 
the Redskins' biggest game on Monday Night Football, control of their own destiny, can take a huge leap in the division. Uh, it's, it's their biggest game since Art Monk and, and, and Mark Rippon. I know you know RG3 had a couple games in there his rookie season, but this is, for all intents and purposes, a huge game for them. Uh, from the Cowboys' perspective, I think we know what Matt Castle is. Probably got some confidence there on that last drive against the Carolina defense. Extra time to prepare. For me, it will be interesting to see the emotional um, element from the Cowboys here. This is a team that was ready to run through a brick wall when Tony Romo came back. They were going to make the playoffs, and heck, they were even going to make the Super Bowl if you listened long enough to the guys in that locker room. Not only do they lose the game on Thanksgiving, but they lose Romo. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if they can respond from an early punch in the mouth. And that's why I won't be on Dallas, despite sharp guys taking them at four and a half. That was the price at four and a half. So if you're running to the wall to take three and a half and it lands four, um, again, we've discussed that in getting the best of the number. Now, can I ask you a bigger question when you look at this particular game? Parallels between the spot that Dallas is in uh, where this number's inflated based on current performance and not meshing with power numbers to what Philadelphia was in yesterday uh, for their trip to New England? I would say the parallel is that same Eagles team, but on Thanksgiving, where that was the line where we had on Thanksgiving the Eagles minus one and a half, and you could have caught plus three. And it lent a lot of sharp professionals making value bets on the Eagles plus three. There was a lot of quit in that team down the tubes. Yesterday's line at seven and a half, eight. I thought that number was pretty spot on. Granted, there were a lot of sharp guys earlier in the week taking 10.5. You could have even got some of the books that were opening up early Sunday as the Sunday night Denver-New England game was going on before Gronk went down and, and, and snagged 13. So, you know, those numbers did not indicate, you know, power numbers. By no measure was double digits the power number of New England and Philadelphia. Um, but it will be interesting to see. Again, we talked about Philadelphia. They responded nicely after going down 14 nothing. It will be interesting to see if the Cowboys can do that. On a positive note, this Redskins defense, despite Terrence Knighton in there, they've had trouble stopping the run, and we know one thing the Cowboys can do still at this very moment with that offensive line and even a beat-up McFadden is run the ball. So that should keep them in this game. It'll definitely be a game that I know has major implications in the divisional race, obviously, in the NFC. And, of course, as a standalone football game, I don't know if it'll be as entertaining as the one we saw last Monday between Cleveland and Baltimore, uh, but will mean a lot more to a number of teams around the league. Some interesting trends to keep in mind. Numbers this time of year, as Payne mentioned, though, you can kind of throw out. Cowboys 11-4 and against the spread the last 15 times they've been road dogs in this particular rivalry against the Redskins. And Monday night has not been kind to the Redskins. 1-13 against the spread and straight up the last 14 times they've played a Monday night football home game. Clearly the stakes much higher this week for Kirk Cousins and company as they can take a stranglehold on the division. Payne, any final words of wisdom or longstanding nuggets until we reconvene with our loyal listeners about this time three days from now? Um, you know, nothing too crazy there. I was just going to kind of ask you, where do you think this line closes on Monday night? Do you think it gets to three? 
Uh, I think we're going to see some of the sharper shops get to three. It was interesting to watch the movement on the overnight. Uh, you're seeing some books sit right at three and a half. You're seeing some books at three and a half even, three and a half minus 15. Uh, I think you did see a little bit of dummy up to try and get the potential to maybe get some more four. And I think we see a close a soft three and a half, despite about 65 to 70 percent of the general public uh, coming in on the Redskins here, uh, knowing some of the betting groups that are backing the Cowboys. Uh, definitely a sharp position on the dog that we're seeing hitting the market. Yeah, there's no question about that. Sharp money on the dog. The sports books will need the dog in this spot. Uh, for me, it looks like a night off in general. I will say one other thing to it, and we talk about numbers, but people that are looking for it, if it does get down to three, there will be plenty of folks looking to lay the field goal. Uh, so as you watch the jockeying back and forth, it's all about the number. It's not just Team A beating Team B. It's about meeting those margins of victory. So please keep that in mind when you walk, run, gallop, Skip, I don't know how a lot of people get to the window these days, Payne, but you know, we want to do it in the safest way possible. With a click of a button. <laughs> in your computer chair. In your underwear. It's a good point. I tend to put a pants on for recording this podcast. Uh, I know our friend in the business, Clay Travis, loves to periscope without them. I feel it adds a degree of class to it. Some interesting announcements to keep your ears peeled for as well, folks. Uh, some holiday specials coming up from Bet the Board. We'll tease that out a little bit and hopefully have some concrete timelines in place uh, when we record with you on Thursday. But for Payne Insider, follow him on Twitter, at Payne Insider. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at Todd Furman. Subscribe to Bet the Board, SoundCloud, iTunes. Visit us at toddstake.com. Best of luck with your wagers for Monday Night Football between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Redskins. We'll be right back with you on Thursday. And in the meantime, hopefully we'll see you at the window. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.